So um, we are uh, seven, eight weeks into the move here to the theater. Uh, we've been hosting two gatherings since we started, as you know, because in, te- in anticipation of Easter, we knew that we would have a, a really full room then, so we went ahead and started with two. It's been a, a challenge and, a, and a, um, a joy because some of the things that we haven't ever been able to do in 12 years, such as have our uh, a committed group of people working with kids ministry who are then able to come downstairs after that and participate in a worship gathering. Some of these sort of unanticipated, frankly, we weren't really even aware of some of the benefits that would come along with gathering twice. Of course, um, the, the downside is sometimes we don't get to see the same people at the same time. So I'm hoping that you're sitting next to people you haven't seen for a little bit maybe or that you're taking advantage of an opportunity to be together. Friends, today is, is the birthday of the Christian church. Today is Pentecost Sunday. Today is the end of a 50-day period of time or season following the day of Easter. It's called Pentecost, which comes from the Greek word 50, uh, because it's 50 days. Today is 50 days after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a massively important day in the history of Christianity because it is the day that the first followers of Jesus Christ were baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's to use Christ's phrase. Or were filled with the Holy Spirit, to use the language of Luke, who writes the uh, account that we read in Acts chapter 2. Or we might say, this is the day when the believers are empowered by the Holy Spirit. So at the beginning of this day, to put, just think about this. At the beginning of this, this day, it's literally it's this day, about 2,000 years ago, there's about 120 Christians in the world. And at the end of this day... About 2,000 years ago, there's 3,120 Christians in the world, right? 120 Christians at the beginning of the day, they're all together in one place and they're waiting. 3,120 Christians at the end of the day, and now they're scattering to every corner of the world with a message and the power to proclaim it. Today's the birthday of the church. Today's the beginning of the Christian movement. So I want to lead us through a quick series of questions this morning about the day of Pentecost and why it matters both to them and to us, all right? So let me start with this question. What did the followers of Jesus in that original Pentecost, it's actually not, I'll explain that in a second, but that that Acts chapter 2 Pentecost day, what what did the followers of Jesus know? What did they know? Well, they knew facts. They knew who Jesus was. Can you go to the next slide for me, uh, Lincoln? They knew who Jesus was. They knew his teachings. They'd been hanging out with him for a couple of years. They knew he'd been killed on a Roman cross. They, They knew that he had even risen from the dead. They'd seen him come back to life. Luke writes that over a period of about 40 days... They, that Jesus appeared to them and provided many proofs that he was in fact alive. The disciples of Jesus knew that he ascended into heaven, which is what we talked about last week as the day of ascension. So the, the early followers of Jesus, they knew the facts. They knew the essential parts of the story. They had firsthand eyewitness experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? That's pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, how many of you would like to have firsthand, eyewitness, experiential knowledge of Jesus Christ? Wouldn't that be fantastic? But here's what's somewhat surprising to me. What they knew was not enough. What they knew wasn't going to cut it. What did they know? Well, they knew the facts, but that wasn't enough. Man, but if I could just see Jesus with my own eyes, I know that'd be great, wouldn't it? But it wouldn't be enough. But guys, if Jesus would just show up to me in real life, then I... 
that'd be so cool, but it wouldn't be enough. It would not be enough for you. Um, And the disciples had the facts. What they needed was the fuel, all right? They needed real power. They needed spiritual power. Jesus himself says as much. Before Jesus ascends, he tells the disciples, wait for the gift my father's going to give to you, right? That's what he tells them. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So Jesus is sending them out, but he says, before you go out, wait for the power that is coming. Wait for the power that you need. And beyond that, if you're familiar at all with the, the early record of the church between the resurrection and Pentecost Sunday, you can observe with your own eyes the fact that the disciples of Jesus Uh, they really lacked power. There was a season in which they knew what happened, but they didn't know what to do about it. They knew what happened. They just didn't know what to do about it. Take, for example, Peter. Peter is there when Jesus, he's at a distance, but he sees Jesus get killed on the cross. Peter is one of the first guys to, to see the empty tomb of Christ on the first Easter morning. That night, Easter night, he sees the resurrected Jesus. Jesus comes to Peter and some others uh, in the upper room. So he sees, he knows what happened. But then a couple of days later, it's like Peter doesn't know what to do about it. Peter's sort of lost. He doesn't seem to have any direction. He says, "Ah, I'm going to go fishing. And some of his buddies go fishing with him. He and the others, they know the truth. They just don't know what to do with it. What they need is some serious fuel. They need some power. They have knowledge. The knowledge that they have is not enough. What they need is power. What about you? What about me? Right? I think that in one sense, American Christians are pretty illiterate biblically. We don't know our Bibles very well. But on on the other hand, in another sense, we have remarkable access to information. Many of you, especially if you've kind of grown up in this culture, you have this basic understanding of the facts surrounding Christianity. Some of you have uh, access, I would say all of us have access to great educational resources, great inspirational resources. We are remarkably well-informed people. We have a lot of facts, but what's abundantly clear is that we need spiritual fuel. We need spiritual power. We are not a powerful church, at least nearly as powerful as you would expect for us to be. Uh, in light of Pentecost, in light of the the story of the gospel. We have lots of facts. We need power. We need power to resist temptation. We're getting decimated by temptations all the time, giving in to temptation. We need power to resist temptation. We need power to engage in complex social issues with truth and grace and clarity. We need power to love one another. We need power to love other people who aren't part of our family, our faith, our group. Uh, We need power to serve. We need power to pursue real devotion, real spiritual devotion. We need power to change the world. Do we have more to learn? Of course we have more to learn. We always have more to learn. But what we really need is power. We need spiritual power. Okay, so what happened? What happened this day so long ago? Uh, This is from Acts chapter 2. Luke sets the stage with this simple sentence. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. So what were the disciples doing? Two things I want to point out that they were doing. First, they were observing the tradition. So Pentecost is just the Greek name for this ancient, more than 1,000-year Hebrew feast called the Feast of Weeks. It's called Shavuot. 
in Hebrew or something close to that. It's a harvest celebration established by Moses a thousand years earlier, supposed to celebrate kind of the first fruits of, of uh, the harvest. So this will kind of blow your mind if you haven't heard this before. Think about this. There's three feasts I'm going to tell you about real quick. There's Passover feast. That happens during Holy Week from a Christian perspective, right? Passover. Two days later is the, the feast of first fruits. That's the day that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, right? So Jesus is resurrected from the dead on the feast, the historic Hebrew feast of first fruits. And in Revelation, John says Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead. Jesus is the first fruits, right? So we got Passover, we got feast of first fruits. And then 50 days later is the feast of weeks, the culmination of the harvest. 50 days ago was first fruits. 50 days later is the fulfillment of the harvest, this big festival, this big party called the Feast of Weeks or Shavuot. And that's the day that Pentecost happens. That's the day that it's Pentecost. That's what it's called. That's the day the Holy Spirit fills the disciples with his power, right? So it's fascinating to me as, as you follow this pattern from the Old Testament into the New. The Spirit comes on the day of the celebration of the fullness of God's goodness to his people. So what are the disciples doing? They're already together because they're observing the tradition. That's why they're all together. They're observing the tradition. And secondly, they're together because Jesus told them to stay together and to wait. So they're, they're together because they're obeying the words of Jesus, right? So Luke sets the stage for the story by pointing out that the followers of Jesus are all together in one place. Why are they together? They're observing the tradition and they're obeying the instructions of Jesus, why does this matter? It's kind of like what we're doing. They're together, observing the tradition. Our tradition that gathers us together primarily today is the tradition of just Sabbath worship. And we're together because we're, we're ready to hear the instructions of Jesus, wanting to obey him. Now, I think this matters because Pentecost, as we understand it, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit on believers, it changes everything for them. It's the day that the Christian movement shifts into high gear. In, in, in other words, Pentecost is a really, really big deal. The church explodes at Pentecost. So it might be easy to imagine if this is the day the church is just launched into movement mode, it might be easy to imagine that Pentecost happens at the top of a mountain, right after a four-year climb up to the top, or at the end of this huge journey, this culminating event, just like bringing this power. We all knew it was going to happen. We were getting ready. In other words, we might expect Pentecost to happen in something, some way that was really uncommon, in some way that was really special in some way that was really epic, but it, it doesn't. It doesn't happen in that context. An author that I read this week noted that the followers of Jesus weren't doing anything innovative when they were gathering together. They were just showing up to observe their own liturgical calendar. They were being together. They were remembering what God has done, and they were kind of making themselves available for what God might do next. They were doing then a lot of like what we're doing right now. Nothing that epic, just doing what they do. This is what we do. We just, we position ourselves to remember what God has done and to say, hey, I'm ready to do what you have for me to do next. In other words, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit of God in the midst of simple obedience. That's what I want you to hear. In the midst of simple obedience, as they observe the tradition, as they obey the instruction of Jesus. So the Spirit comes in the midst of the common. The Spirit comes in the midst of the common, but what happens next, of course, is very uncommon. Here's what happens next. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. 
They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, now this may be a really familiar text to some of you. I want to encourage you to hear it again as if you're hearing it for the first time. Friends, this is really strange. This is unworldly kind of stuff. Okay, Luke is writing this. Luke almost surely wasn't there. So he's interviewed other people who were there, and this is the best he can do to explain. He does well, in my opinion, but this is his attempt to explain and describe what it is that happened. I'm trying to go back. There we go. Um, Can you go back for me to the beginning of the text? There we go. Suddenly, listen again. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. It seems to be a complete... um, colliding of images there, tongues of fire, I've never thought of that, but then they separated and they came to rest on each of them and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or languages as the Spirit enabled them. All right, so part of why this is recorded by Luke is because it tells the story of the events of Pentecost. So this is a historic event in the sense of its context. It is unique. It's one time. It's at least the first time. It's massively significant as an event, and that's why Luke records it. But another reason it's recorded by Luke is because it communicates a bigger message for the church, including you and including me. We need to know about the event, in other words, but more than the event, we need to know what the event communicates for us here and now. So what is that bigger message? The bigger message is that the disciples received power from God to reach others. Simply stated, this is the message for us. The disciples received power from God to reach others for God. They had the facts. They needed the fuel. Okay, Pentecost continues to be a massively significant holy day for the Christian community because it communicates to us that if we're going to be effective in carrying the gospel into all parts of the world, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to do that. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in us in order to be effective in this calling to affect the world with the message of God. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not an option for super spiritual Christians. This is not a charismatic issue. This is not for Pentecostals only, all right? If we're going to be effective in obedience to Jesus, we should just stay at home and wait until we get filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how critical it is, according to Jesus. Don't even leave until you got the power to do some good, because you can't do this by yourself. You need the power of God in order to do it. Pentecost matters because it's the birthday of the church. Yes, but not just in this, you know, on this day in history, 2,000 years ago sort of sense. It matters historically in the, wow, something happened to this group of people. And in the morning, they were 120. And by the evening, they had 3,000 more converts. What in the world? A completely different quality of effectiveness took root. Do you hear what I'm saying? Something significant got adjusted. 
And it's more than an adjustment. It is the infilling of the presence of God in real people. That's what it is. These people experience real spiritual power. And as a result, the whole world begins to hear the gospel of Jesus. Everything changes at this point for the disciples. But I would say probably most remarkably, most remarkably what changes is their fear goes away. Their fear goes away. It melts away and instead they're filled with courage. Like if you, stand, if you stand back and you look at the whole story from a historic perspective, the really amazing thing is not that at the end of Peter's sermon, which comes after this, the really amazing thing is not that 3,000 people give their lives to Jesus. Okay. The really amazing thing is that Peter is preaching. That's what's so amazing. And he's a, preaching effectively and he's preaching with courage. I mean, that's, it's, it's blowing my mind. 40 days ago, this guy was filled with fear. A couple weeks ago, he's fishing. He has no idea what he's doing. He's aimless. And now he stands up at Pentecost, and he preaches his first sermon, and everyone says, and 3,000, and yes, that's what Luke records, 3,000 people convert to Christianity, start following Jesus. Is that amazing? Of course it's amazing. You know what's more amazing to me than that? Peter's preaching. Peter's preaching. He's not afraid anymore. He's full of courage now. All of the sudden, he's full of power. He's surging with courage. He knew the facts, and now he's filled with fuel. And so his fear goes away. And he's reaching the whole world with the gospel. Now, last thing. Some of us have been affected by, have grown up in traditions that view this idea of being filled with the Holy Spirit as a once-and-done kind of experience. It's a climactic event. It's a crisis event where there's some sort of surrender that is made. I'm surrendering my whole life to God, and he, then he's filling me up with his Holy Spirit, and that's good, and that's right, and there's a place in the bigger story for that narrative, absolutely. But here's what Paul says, that people who emphasize the crisis event don't really want to address as, as effectively. Paul says this to the church later on. And this doesn't take anything away from the initial day of Pentecost. In fact, I think it reinforces it. Paul says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. And the reason I say that this morning is because some of you are like, yeah, man, I had an experience like that a long time ago. I surrendered my life to Jesus. I was on fire. I was fearless. I was bold. I was full of joy. I was full of peace. I felt full of power. Where did that go? What has happened? Why am I so cooled off? And the, you know what? Paul, you don't need to worry about that. Okay? You don't need to worry about that because it's not all about the event. Paul says, be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Of course you've run dry. <laughs> of course your cup leaks, right? Of course the world is so broken it's beaten you up. Of course your passion has waned, some of you, right? Of course the reality of the hard brokenness of life has had its effect on your passion and your, your boldness and your courage, of course fear begins to creep back in. Be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's the opportunity. Be continually filled. Is that available to me still? Just like, yes, it is. Yes, it is. The Holy Spirit wants to fill us all again today. As we gather together in obedience to our tradition, in, in obedience to the words of Jesus, we can expect to be filled again with the very presence of God. Let's pray for that now. Let's pray for that now. Let's ask the Lord to fill us up again, or maybe to fill us up for the first time with the very presence of God, that we would be enabled to reach the world, to reach our families, to reach our neighbors, our schools, 
with, with the love and the grace of God. Let's pray together. God, we're grateful for your love. We read these stories and we want, these, we want this to be more than a historic narrative. We want it to be a, a description of what we're experiencing here and now. And so just very humbly, very simply, without any kind of emotional anything attached to it, Lord, I just simply ask that you would fill our church with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would convict us of the need to surrender all of our life to you. You would be in charge. We would follow you. And as we become aware of our desperate need for power and courage and wisdom and effectiveness, that you would just pour that supply in. That you would fill us with yourself. That you're very... Holy Spirit would take residence in, in these temples, these houses of God, our bodies, our, our souls, our spirits. God, empower us to do for you and for others what you've called us to do. Give us a deep sense of grace, a deep sense of your presence with us, a deep sense of your power. And I just pray that we would continually be coming back to you as the stream, the river of life, saying, please fill me up again. Fill me up again today, and then fill me up again tomorrow. Please have mercy on us, Lord. Please fill us up in Jesus' name. Amen.